the the common thread that I do see is people mostly copying publicly available systems, which is great, but also kind of problematic because they have figured it out for their company. And what applies to one company doesn't necessarily apply to another. So really it is go and play around, take your existing work and try to retrospectively build the variables to support it. That will force you into realizing what you need to support based off what you don't currently have. No other company is going to be able to provide you with the answer to those questions unless you spend the time to figure it out. Welcome to Deep Dives. My name is Rid, and this is where we go deep with the best designers so you can learn from their journey and apply it to your own career. Today, I'm talking with Figma designer advocate Louis Oriash, and we are going deep on all things variables. But before we get into the weeds, I wanted to hear a little bit more from Louis about his background as a designer advocate and everything that led up to him ultimately unveiling variables on stage at Config. I, I started in Figma in June 2020. I had also originally been on the Figma professional plan before joining. So I join, I'm joining customer calls, everybody's on the organization plan, which I'd never seen before. They're all talking about design systems at scale, which again was kind of alien to me. At that moment, I knew that something needed to change. And that meant that really knuckling down on just learning components inside out. Fast forward maybe a year or so, there's more people using, firstly using Figma, but secondly, way more interested in design systems. And that to me was a, an opportunity for knuckling down even further. My attitude immediately to become way more component focused, give practical advice, guides, structures, organizations based off the year of stuff I've just done. So that pivoted massively into just providing resources endlessly. Publish, 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 publish every single day. And then. As more people become interested in design systems and the more people I talk to about design systems, the more this phrase keeps coming up, tokens. Another thing that I really didn't know much about, I knew styles in Figma and arguably not too dissimilar in concept, but that was my next biggest rock to climb. So I started to just pay attention, ask every single person I spoke to what they're doing. What tokens uh, are you implementing? Are they synchronized across design and development? What's your naming architecture? Do you, how many levels of aliasing do you use? Da-da-da-da-da, really drilling in to understand what the largest customers or companies in the world are doing. Just to let that sit in my brain. And then I need to be confident advising other people about it. We had our conference, Config, and we're starting to get really close to people giving best practice advice on what to do in this space. As that conference finished, we knew what the next year's releases were likely to be, which included variables or tokens, as we would have called it then. Well, I've got this like two and a half years of really knuckling down on systems architecture, components, uh, all these guides that I've been doing. People are now kind of expecting that something needs to come out of my mouth <laughs> that tells them how to approach this topic. So I signed up to an internal project, which was to prepare the assets for the conference. That allowed me to dedicate a lot of time to scoping this out, really applying some of the key principles that I'd spent two and a half years absorbing, and then put it to everybody in the crowd at a live biggest conference I've ever seen in my entire life. And then I got asked if I wanted to talk about it myself. And that meant like really hibernating. Nobody saw me for a couple of months and I, dove really deep into 
practical applications of token slash variables in Figma and just shared and try to fail as much as possible internally and externally. And then that kind of ended up with me being on stage in front of 4,000 people talking about something that I technically didn't know about very much three, six, nine, 12 months before, but felt confident to do it because of those two and a half years of absorption mode. It's, it's cool to hear you talk about the like sharing and hitting publish, 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 because one of my favorite places to learn about variables right now is you and what you put on Twitter. And I think a lot of that is because you can see that you are actively learning. You're just hungry to learn. And you put something out there and inevitably somebody on Twitter comments and like, well, what about this? Why'd you do this? And your responses to those comments, I think is like the best place to learn about tokens or variables on the internet right now. You are a learner who's a couple steps further along in the journey. And that's kind of how you portray yourself, which I appreciate. Yeah, what I, what I really want to do is take this exposure that I have of three months, arguably ahead of people seeing something and knowing that they're going to hit the same roadblocks, hit the same walls that I hit as I was trying to learn about it and just open that door as wide as possible to then talk with people in public transparently. But I also think it's really important to not really necessarily be attached to this perception of being right or wrong. I will try to preface as much as possible that I am still figuring it out and try to share. If I come across a really good resource, I'll share it for sure. So it's a combination of constantly sharing, asking for feedback by sharing, and then sharing other people's resources, which means that you're just creating this like loop, feedback loop of share, feedback, share, feedback, publish. And then before you know it, you just created loads of stuff without even really realizing. And like you said, the responses that I get are because I have this platform. Whereas people who are doing really, really good work don't necessarily get that response back either. And I feel like that's my responsibility to share what they're doing around as well. When you were originally just kind of positioning yourself as a sponge and trying to soak up as much of like what's working and what different companies are doing, how much variance were you seeing between how these different big established companies were handling tokens? The, the common thread that I do see is people mostly copying publicly available systems, which is great, but also kind of problematic because they have figured it out for their company. And mm -hmm. what applies to one company doesn't necessarily apply to another. There are some really good foundational pieces of work out there that allow you to get to grips with something or at least something like a, a naming convention pretty quick. So really it is go and play around, take your existing work and try to retrospectively build the variables to support it. That will force you into realizing what you need to support based off what you don't currently have. No other company is going to be able to provide you with the answer to those questions unless you spend the time to figure it out. One of the challenges of being someone who is looked to for advice on this topic is it varies so much between the size and how well established a given team is. What are like the lenses that a product owner should have when they're evaluating what makes sense for their team specifically? Firstly, you need to ask yourself if you need to be doing it. You need to really think, is this going to have a positive impact on the business right away? If the, if the answer is no, let's deprioritize it for now and come back to it when it makes sense. The 
there is a real hard problem of giving advice to different sizes of team, different sizes of business, different platforms, different industries. But I do genuinely think that there is a baseline level of advice that everybody can get. I, I generally give similar advice to people regardless of their industry, team size, scale. It's just the amount that you might be doing and the amount of process that surrounds it. So you might have more people involved making or helping to make that decision about the name of your variable, but you still need to name it. And you could still rely on a strong foundation that I could hopefully help you figure out. I think a UI kit would be way more successful if it gave you some sort of foundation rather than the answer. What about for startups specifically? Is there a line where you feel like it doesn't make sense to cross? Should, how much should teams that are just starting out even be thinking about variables and primitives? So how do you think about the right level of adoption when a team is just starting out? Yeah, you're right in that you're going to need that product market fit before you introduce levels of complexity that maybe uh, larger company things to think about, but you can still be efficient. And efficiency is at the core, I think, of any designer's job, where if you can reduce margin of error, you're doing a really good job. And that might mean introducing border radius variables to ensure that when it goes to dev, they're all consistent. Introducing spacing variables in your auto layout containers means that you can predict what something's going to look like when it gets used and when it gets implemented by your developers. They're massive wins. And that's something you couldn't do six months ago. So if we can improve the consistency of our design, we're gonna be way happier because we have to fix less things that go wrong in production. And of course you can get around that with more communication. It's just a dream, dream state to have a, a really over communicative team and sometimes we have to rely on the pixels to make that happen. So implementing those more simplistic variable structures means you can sprint towards less errors in your, in your production environment, which is hugely beneficial to a business. I love the texturing example. It brings back a very specific memory where just a few months ago I was working on a project at Maven. It was so copy heavy and the copy was very educational in nature. And I could throw the ball as far as I could, but like I was not going to be the person that owned that copy. And I tried all these different ways of like, I tried making them an editor in Figma. I had a notion document that we were referencing. And then you get all of these like hanging single words on the three lines and it breaks the UI. And I feel like I dropped the ball on <laughs> the entire process, honestly, where text strings are something that's very, very interesting to me because I'm using these same strings in lots of different places and having that source of truth and having it live more closely to Figma rather than me being responsible for referencing Notion at the end of each week. It's something that I'm excited about and I feel like I have barely scratched the surface of, obviously. Yeah, there is some very practical advice that we probably want to talk about with regards to things like text string variables. It's very easy to think of them as a content database. Uh, and they could be, but that's not necessarily how it should be used or what it was initially designed for. It's great for testing things out. On a sort of where do they live question as well, I would look at them as being as close to the design as possible, unless they need to be used globally, in which case they might not even need to exist. It's great for testing out in, in the context of what you're doing. However, 
you might have a global text string database of translations for a button or something like that, in which case that does deserve to live more globally. So the, a decision about, in general, where variables should live is all about application in the same way that you'd have that advice for components. Does this component live in one file, three files, or every single file? And that would impact where it gets stored, similar way to a string variable. Hmm. I'd love to get into the weeds on variables even more. And maybe we can kind of create this separation between more blank, um, more green pasture, you're just starting off, there's less constraints, how would you kind of do it from scratch? And then separately, we can kind of talk about okay, you probably have this existing system. How can we think about like a transition plan and chunking that out into milestones? Mm -hmm. So let's start with the former and maybe just as like a really quick primer just to make sure that everyone listening is on the same page. Can you give us like a little rundown around just the difference between primitive semantics and even component level tokens? Sure, uh, the primitive level is the, call it what it looks like. So it is the green slash 300 or green strong or however you're defining those, but it's still green. It's the green color that you have in your system that's probably been provided by the brand team or the external agency that you've got to provide your style guide. Green, purple, yellow, orange. This is the list of colors that you probably have stored somewhere. You may have those in Figma at the moment as styles, but in the... The world of semantics, we would prefer not to use the token or variable as it's as it's called that it's looked like. So the green would be in the semantic world, something like background success, or it might be border success, text success, something like that. It might, be, it might even be more semantic in its background uh, positive. It might be border positive, text positive. However, there's still that translation. So you've got the primitive layer, which is what does it look like? That might also be on a sizing level, something like size four for four pixels. Size four, green 100, you know exactly what you're gonna get. You then alias those into the semantic layer, separate collection in Figma, maybe even a separate file in Figma. We can talk about that a bit later. Primitive goes and in, alias into semantic. You've got your background success. You've got your size compact, which might, in, be aliasing that primitive size four. So you've got that layer in between, which is the alias. Primitive goes into semantic. Now the argument about component tokens is contentious. People don't necessarily align with it uh, as, a, as an industry because it can easily be seen as creating more work that is not necessarily required. It is more common in the sort of engineering space, but not necessarily exposed. So you might have component level tokens, for example, input background might be something that you have because all the inputs share the same background color in the default state. But that could also just be handled at the semantic level. The default state of the input could be background inactive. You see it's less specific, but more global in its intention. The component for the input field, which has input background might be something you create because you might need a fork, which allows you to do versioning in a different way. So you might need to version a specific component in a different release, in which case pointing another level down in the aliasing system means you can version that real specific component instead of versioning everything at the semantic level. So if you need to go down to that level, component tokens might make sense. If you don't, 
the semantic level is probably more what you need. Do you think it's safe to say that for the vast majority of designers who are starting off on a new system, they can safely ignore component level tokens? Yeah, that should be my answer, but I really like them. <laughs> I find it really valuable to know that an input background is an input background. If I am going to create a new screen and I'm creating a new type of input field, I'm probably going to search input in my style picker. I'm probably not going to instinctively think background inactive. Is that the right token? Is that what I should be searching? So personally, I really like them, but I totally understand how there could be an understand, uh, interpretation where it's too much work. You're creating too many variables to support. We don't need to go to that level. If I was to advise somebody though, I would say maybe consider having primitive at the top always, but that might get split in a fork so you support semantic and component at the same level. Instead of going primitive down to semantic down to component, you might have primitive into semantic and primitive into component. That way you're supporting component and primitive at the same level, but very different specificities. That's what I would probably advise somebody to do if they really wanted to go to that level. But as I said, the industry is kind of aligned on semantic layer being the only one you need. So if you're starting from scratch, what are the mm -hmm. core primitives that you think designers should be thinking about? Yeah, so if you're starting brand new, firstly, do you have a product market fit on what you're trying to do? And do you need to start using variables? If you do, figure out the least amount of variables that you need to support the most amount of cases. So that would just be relying on that semantic layer. So that is a case of taking one of your screens and if you're in a team, run a workshop, ask people what they would call every single color that you have on that screen and then try to do some sort of grouping of the themes that you're finding in the results that people are giving you because that's gonna be incredibly important for adoption. You're gonna to need to know that people can actually find the variables that you've created in the search panel if they can't, we have a big problem. And this is where uh, design teams would often find themselves with that, those adoption problems because that, that piece of research internally hasn't happened. Maybe you've aligned with an external third party system or something, which isn't the way your team works. So my, my example of background success might be that it needs to be called background positive in your team. So that abstraction of what does this mean for our team is incredibly important for what then you go and name anything in your system, let alone the variables that are powering the whole thing. What are some of the red flags or signals that might indicate that you're over-architecting your system and arriving at a level of specificity that's actually doing more harm than good? It would be loads of variables that have the same value. Either that is a really good thing or a really bad thing because it could mean that you are building for a future that never exists or your your current reality is that loads of people have different names for the same thing the biggest red flag that even i have done when i've been playing around is predicting variables that i end up never needing does every single variable need a hover focus it dis disabled state or do you just build, do you want to build those when you need them? So as, as I said, just figure out based off a screen, for example, what variables you need to support right now and just build them and release them as they come up instead of spending months in the corner figuring out something that maybe you don't need yet. If you were in your own Figma file and you're building this new system for a startup, what is 
your semantic naming system and how would you even think about the number of variables that you would need to create? I would break, break down things into, I focus a lot on color. So I'd break down into different types of application, background, text, icon, and border. Then take an example of our screen and just apply or split, I should say, up a screen into the different color types. Then think about the different states of those different color types. Then think about the different modes of the states of the different color types that we have. So we've got four different color types, the, the background, the border, the text, and the icon. Some of those might need a hover. Some of those might need a focus. Some of those might be fixed values across light and dark mode. Some of them might not. We've already introduced tons of complexity and I've been talking for 30 seconds about it. <laughs> so we need to, what we need to do is nail down a mode. Nail, if you work in light mode or dark mode as default, nail that down and make sure we've got that primitive layer feeding into all those different variables that we have in an example screen. Duplicate the screen, create another mode for dark, flip it over to dark mode and start to pick apart each individual variable and change the value. So firstly, the color contrast works when you're, when you're pu pulling in a primitive and that the pairs work and that all those fixed values, maybe you have white text that should always be white text. Make sure that also works in the reverse. It might mean you need to create more variables. It might need to mean you need to create less variables, but the practical application of them as you're building them. So you're kind of doing this side by side dance of variables, panel, screen, quick back and forth, back and forth. You will know very quickly whether something's working or not. But importantly, you've got the primitives being fed down, which you can choose a different value if it needs to be different across different modes. For example, your background success might be way lighter in dark mode than the darkness it is in light mode. That's totally fine if you're feeding it in from a primitive color ramp. As long as you've got those pairs and those relationships set up, you can decide the visual differences in different themes based off the color contrast you want to achieve. So fundamentally, you've got this goal underneath of people being able to use it, minimum amount of variables and different states that you want to cover. And that's a lot of work in itself to go and keep yourself busy for a while. For a while. Can you tell us a little bit about your strategy for structuring libraries with variables and maybe a bit of the ways that that can really differ across different sizes and maturity levels of teams? The, the reality is if you're a one person team, you might not even need to go down to the primitive semantic layer. That might be totally fine because you just need to ship, you need to ship really fast. As you, as you start to get into a more complex area of, of business and design team structure, you might need to introduce firstly more collections, but you may also need to introduce more files. The way that I'm looking at it at the moment is that as long as we have that split of primitive semantic in at least a different collection, you should be fine. Because ultimately, if you have those level of complexity, you do not want to expose primitives to any file that is going to be created. You only want to be able to use the ones that are describing the intention, not what they look like. There's a way to get around that by prefixing our entire collection with an underscore or a period or full stop. But that seems a little bit fragile to me. So what I want to do is predict a future where maybe we need to move things around. We might need to split files. Something might happen where we have a new brand that we want to support or a new product we want to develop, in which case we might need two semantic layers. To me, that is going to be a really challenging project of splitting one file into two, at least, and piecing back everything back together. 
So what I'm thinking at the moment is primitives in a separate file, semantics in a separate file. Just split them up so that you know there's a relationship, but they can live wherever you want. You can invite specific people to the file, manage permissions in a different way. You can lock it down. You can do whatever you need to. You can create separate work streams entirely in different files. You just know there's that security that if you need to move things around, if you need to rename things in different ways, you can have different release cycles. You can create as many different semantic files as you need and alias back and forth between different collections and different files. And you're kind of protecting yourself from that future that every business wants, which is multiple products, multiple brands, multiple themes, and you know you've set yourself up for success. The argument might be that we're creating a world that may never exist. We're introducing this layers of complexity, which are arguably redundant in that early phase. And this is where you need to make a call. How often do you want to release either of these things? Primitives arguably don't change that much. Semantics you might need to change very often. Putting them in the same place increases the margin for error of somebody accidentally doing a release on something they shouldn't be doing. And that's where, as you start to grow as a team, you want to reduce any sort of design linting problem. And to me, that means split, split it up. Just split the stuff up. Just like I would prefer to know that my developers are looking at a particular part of a design file, which is finished for them. We might be continuing to work somewhere else, but this part is totally locked down. Just like I prefer to know my variables are locked down and there's not going to be any accidental changes in there. So if you think about colors and sizes and widths and booleans and text strings, that may end up in a bunch of different files. But because we need to manage releases of each individual's library separately, it makes logical sense to me to have them with their very own intentional location. But fundamentally, we've got primitives in one place, semantics in another. Really speaks to the value of pre-planning effectively, specifically with this new variables feature. Like, like if you're listening and you're like, well, my first step is like, I'm just gonna start creating some variables. It's like, no, 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 like make a map in FigJam, put even 15 minutes of thought into where this might end up going. I remember about five years ago, it was my first time working on a very big open source design system, multi-brand, and it kind of just threw me into the deep end. And I can transport myself back to this very specific conversation where a developer was sitting across from me and he was making the case for why I needed to define a token that was on material. <laughs> and at the time, it just sounded like Portuguese. Like I had no idea why or what the heck he was talking about. And I've noticed a few times now on Twitter, you've actively tried to avoid that syntax. Can you share a little bit about why? Yeah. So I, what I do think that that structure does do is make something way more simple. You read it, you know exactly what's going to happen. But I think it's too simple. And I think that we're crowbarring in words to get around a system that maybe hasn't been structured in a way that is comprehensible to our team. And we're not necessarily also working in the same way that I think our development team would prefer to work. Because of the way that CSS would work, I would prefer my theming to be defined by the parent or the container of something rather than a specific element within it. Mm -hmm. I want to set the body to be dark theme. I just want everything inside to know that it's going to switch over. I don't want to drill down to a text element 
that is decided to be on something else, which is on something else, which is on something else, to then cascade backwards up. I want to go top down. And to me, we need to abstract a little bit further away from adding in words for comprehension and thinking about the architecture itself. I still don't think I answered the question. No, I mean, it makes sense. It maps to how Figma has thought about the feature, itself, the feature set itself too. This idea of inheriting it from the parent level. And it's almost always gonna make sense to make that theming change as high up as, make, as you possibly can. And so I, haven't, I hadn't thought about how that would trickle into taxonomy specifics, but I think I buy it. Yeah, what, what I think is important for us to think about is are we introducing new variables and what is the purpose of introducing these new variables? Is it to get us effectively a get out of jail free card when somebody needs to do something that deviates from the system? Or does the system need to work harder to support many different applications of things? Another argument about this is where you have fixed values for variables or tokens which have the same hex value in different themes or different modes. Some people might be horrified by that idea, but we definitely need those situations. If you think about a, on a blog website where you've got a image with a black overlay on top, you've got white text that sits on top of that black overlay on the image, that is gonna to need to be white text probably everywhere. Do you just call it white text? Is that going to help you comprehend exactly what's happening at every single different theme? Or do you call it something like text on overlay? I don't know what overlay means. So I'm gonna to have to apply it to see what it means. And to me, that means we've got around the system in a negative way. I want my designer team to search for text to know exactly what they're gonna get from it. I don't need us to rely on these color pairs to understand the intention of a semantic variable. All right, so let's switch it up a little bit. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of a designer who has an existing system. They have a product. Maybe they're even using like Token Studio plugin and then all of a sudden they tune into config and variables drops. Can you share some advice for designers around how they should think about those first few steps and getting momentum and ultimately integrating this new feature set? The first thing you probably need to ask yourself is how complex is your existing setup? What level of detail and what level of investment have you put into this existing solution? And what's the amount of investment you'll need to migrate out if that's what you wanna do? Some teams may still be using the plugin forever because that just allows them to have the pipeline they need of tokens in, tokens out. If you are using the plugin to do things that are maybe not supported natively yet, still use the plugin, totally fine. What you can think about is what is the, the smallest amount of variables you can introduce to your system immediately. And that to me would be replacing what was not possible before. So the radiuses, the auto layout padding, the gap auto layout property, feeding those with variables will be a win. Consolidating your styles down from maybe two sets of styles, light, dark, maybe three high contrast into one collection set with three modes, another massive win, but you still might need to support typography variable or token swapping via a plugin for the foreseeable future. You might still have a white label design system where you have different collections of 
tokens run through the plugin which only get applied to certain library files because maybe you're working in a client environment and you don't want them to be exposed to different modes you might still need to use the, the plugin so it's still definitely a use case for people to continue with their existing setup either until the point where they don't need to or they just continue to use it forever if a design team relies on a plugin to store their JSON file or to synchronize their JSON file back and forth between a server, again, that might just be what you need to do. It's ultimately down to where you want to store these tokens, what level of complexity you have, and who needs to be exposed to them. Those questions should help you answer that, what do we do right now? However, you can still do those small wins that I mentioned. What is the future of styles in the product? Like, are we just going to live in this world where it's just this object of gradients and that's it? Styles right now enable you to effectively do what we're calling composite tokens, which is a, a bunch of tokens combined together. So if you think about a color that has another color on top, maybe it's a filter or something with opacity, that's two values that need to be stored together. And you can currently do that by feeding in two variables into a style. A style is also something that you can have a composite series of effects or a bunch of different grids inside one place. So styles are still very valuable and still can be used extensively within your system. I would even, if you are currently using styles, I would advise you to continue using styles. Mostly because you've now got a mental model shift if you reject them and go in with variables. You might start referring to styles as variables to your design team who would say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I would continue to use styles if you're using them already and just feed them with the variables that you've set up, which will enable you to continue on the path of adoption within your design systems team and still use styles for what they're really good at, which is applying a value. You can still theme if you have styles with variables inside. And as I said, they still make sense. In the long term, that might change, but we're not in the long term yet. And we think we might want to maybe think about what does our design system roadmap look like in 12 months? Is that a case where we're phasing out something, which might be phasing styles out and introducing variables entirely? But you can't really answer that question until the roadmap has been released. And I would advise you to not necessarily pay attention to the Figma roadmap to decide what your design system is doing roll out what you supported and you know that it's working and it's going to be strong and stable in that six, nine, 12 month future of your roadmap. So continuous styles, feed them with variables and everyone should be pretty happy. You mentioned the word Figma roadmap, which is going to make me transition just a little bit again, because without spilling the beans, can you give us a bit of your thoughts in terms of what the role of AI might look like in the core Figma product, maybe 12 to 18 months from now even. I get asked this semi-regularly. And my, my perspective is that I would like to reduce inefficiency at all stages. I wouldn't like to replace ideation. What I mean by improve efficiency is particularly on things like admin and member management and inviting the right people to the right file if you are creating a file and you frequently collaborate with three or four people, should we manually go and invite those people to that file every single time? Or do we just know or suggest? Other things around that might be file organization. I would love to see a world where 
I don't need to go and manually organize my frames on the canvas, make sure the order is in the right place, make sure the prototype is maybe connected in a way that makes sense. That is something that is manual, takes a long time, and for not much benefit other than visual polish. So those, those kind of optimizations, I think we could save up designers a lot of time to go and focus on creating good stuff. If we start thinking about systems, how can we make sure the right variable is applied to the right screen or the right element on the screen? How can we make sure we're catching wrong implementations from the system? How do I know that that, that success color is the right shade on this example? Let's say a designer just applies a raw hex value to an element on the canvas. Can we automatically match that to a variable from the system? And how much time could we save from somebody opening up, searching, applying, checking, checking the contrast, all these sorts of things with running a program over it and saying, hey, we've already done that for you. Go and enjoy the rest of your day. I appreciate that because it's not the typical answer that you hear. Like whenever I answer that, whenever I ask that question, it's always, well, we'll be able to explore 10 times as many ideas and think about how efficiently we're going to be able to ideate. And you've kind of positioned AI as a potential auditor or linter even, which yeah. is contrary somebody, to the extent. Somebody to come and sweep the floors for you would be like really that. useful. I know we like our robot vacuums, so maybe it's the, the designer's equivalent of that. I like it. I like it. Yeah. At the end of the day, all I really want are all of my frames to be 40 pixels apart on my canvas. <laughs> Me too. Just 240 uh, instead. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Psycho. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Let's see. Let's see. Before, before we let you go here, I'm going to throw some, some quick hitting questions your way. The first one is what's an underrated Figma plugin that designers should check out? There is a plugin called Foundation Icon Scaler, which if you're an icon designer and you very quickly realize that you don't have the right sizes or scaling isn't working, it spins up icons in loads of different variations as a variant set in different mm -hmm. sizes for you. So that could actually take you a ton of time, but this allows you to do it really quickly. Something that I do use all the time, and this is about organization, is a plugin called Organizer, which a good friend Luke built. Uh, after I kindly asked him to do it. And it, I use it every single day to organize the frames on the canvas and it mm. sets them in the right layer order. So I can then tab through in the right order all the frames that I've presented in, in a file. Love it. You say you don't use a lot of plugins because I think I have the same answer actually. I don't use that many plugins. All the time people are DMing me and be like, can you give us a list of all of your favorite plugins? I'm like, I don't really have that many. Like I kind of... Just get in there and move things around myself. I don't know. Yeah, it's more keyboard shortcuts and yeah. power moves, I think, rather than plugins. I would, when I started using Figma, for sure, plugins all over the place. But I think as you start to learn all the intricacies of the native features, they kind of get pushed to the side and you rely on muscle memory for doing lots mm -hmm. of different things. What's a power move that you think more designers should commit to muscle memory? Uh, shift, enter, and enter for navigating up and down in a layer tree. Enter drills down into a layers and shift, enter goes back. And you can very quickly, let's say you've got a big variant set, you can very quickly edit loads of different things at the same time. Combine enter, shift, enter with command or control R to batch rename. You're, in, you're having a fun time when you start to do that because you can create variants very quickly. You can rename things very quickly. 
you can create things very quickly. You combine that with a plugin like Styler or something. You can generate loads and loads of different color styles immediately by navigating up and down, quickly renaming them, running a plugin using your keyboard shortcut to pull up the quick actions panel. And you're generating all this different stuff, just navigating a few different keyboard shortcuts. And I'll also sprinkle in a lot of option L to close the folders as well. Yeah. So I'm like constantly flying around, just opening and closing folders in the layers panel. Another question, what's the coolest use case for variables in a prototype that you've seen so far? Uh, I saw somebody make Flappy Bird using variables, which is just way beyond my level of understanding, honestly. The, the games that come out very quickly are always an indication that people can push this stuff in ways you'd never yeah. even think about. I, I saw the, the gif of the Flappy Bird one on Twitter and I just immediately was just like, yeah, I'm not trying to get, I'm not going to figure that no. one out. Like, I'm just going to let that one be. No I, I have no interest in understanding how that was built. It's a level of complexity that is beyond me. Last question, you know, as the not self-proclaimed token guru of, of Twitter at the moment, uh, what? What is a Figma file on your community profile that if someone's going to check out one thing that you've done, what are you most proud of? Where would you point people? The design systems structure mega file is uh, the result of a lot of absorption that I spoke about earlier. Listening to loads of people and figuring out, I hope, a solution regardless of the size of your team to organize your files. And I think that's boring and mundane, but the foundational organization of your files enables your success. I saw a variable boilerplate in the works. So maybe by the time people are listening to this, they can find that on your profile as well. No yeah, pressure. This is the exact thing is spending months thinking and thinking and thinking, allowing it to bubble away and then just jumping really fast into execution mode and giving mostly foundational work that people can jump off from. I don't necessarily want to give you the answer because it might not be your answer. I just want to be able to give you something to think about and spark a discussion internally. Why th this variable boilerplate that I work on might not necessarily be something you need, but you can explore. Yeah, I think that's an important part. Sometimes the most valuable learning is what is not going to make sense and being able to see that in action and then that would trigger well, that won't, reason, that won't work for X, Y, Z, but if I tweaked it in this way, then I could see it being valuable over here. And you're right, sometimes you just need something to react to. So on behalf of the design community, thank you for taking the initiative and leading the charge on all of this educational material because honestly, at the end of the day, variables are complex and it takes a lot of work. Like I can't even imagine the amount of work that you put into just learning all of this and ramping up so quickly. So thank you. <sighs> No problem. Thank you very much.